we're going to take a look, uh, dive into the, the idea behind uh, the role of hedging um, and, the, and the role of crop insurance. And I'm going to frame this under a strict goal uh, of, of farm survival. And this, this approach is, is uh, uh, strategic in the sense that it, it gives, it gives a, a, a backbone to why you make decisions and, and those, those, that backbone's real. Um, farm survival's real. And at the, at the same time, it filters out all this other stuff I hear. And, and, and uh, I'm gonna keep on this other stuff I hear. And one of them is, well, last year. And, and uh, I'm, I'm exceptionally annoyed at, at the words, well, last year, uh, or the phrase. Because um, I, I don't make, I don't deem a decision to be good or bad based upon my most recent experience with it. I deem a decision to be good or bad, whether it helps me achieve my goals and my objectives. So let's get into that. Um, I'm going to frame it multiple ways. So let's take a look back. Um, our plans miscarry because they have no aim. When a, when a man does not know what harbor he is headed for, no wind is the, is the right wind. Uh, that's a, a Roman philosopher. Um, I like this Einstein one too. It's, it's not that I'm smart, it's just that I stay with problems longer. And, and maybe uh, uh, I've, I've stuck my head down this uh, hedging and insurance farm survival stuff long enough to maybe I've filtered out a few things to, to help think about what why you're engaging in, in these tools um, and, and also what are the characteristics of the market. So uh, to frame risk and reward or, or using insurance and hedging, you, you have to come from a very strong point of view of where are you at today? How did you get there? And where do you wanna go in the future? Um, and, and today's prices, and we're gonna end at this in the end, provide a very, very intriguing uh, environment to make decisions. So, uh, but we have to, we have to uh, filter out a couple things first. So we, we need, we need to, in order to make money next year, uh, we have to survive this year. We can't, we can't find ourselves in a point where we don't get the opportunity to make money in future uncertain years. Um, and we get to do this in a, in a, in a wonderful environment where all input costs have gone up over time. Commodity prices have increased, yields are increasing. And uh, so therefore, uh, the, the financial outcomes of this environment are, are way different than they were just a number of years ago. So in, in, in our world, we would say they're, they're nonlinear. So uh, jumping off of one story you know, hurts a little bit. I mean, maybe your legs, I mean, how you land. Uh, uh, but if you jump off at of 10 stories, because we remember we walked up everything and all of this cost and all this revenue um, can hurt a lot more. And so we need something to dampen that fall. Uh, and, but we never know when we're going to need that stuff um, because you, you, we uh, are uncertain of when, when things are going to arrive in the future. Was that a, uh, a chat? Let me pull up the chat. It was uh -huh. just a comment by Melissa to put questions. Oh, yeah, in the absolutely. Chat. If you got questions, uh, please put them in there and someone will, will gain my attention to uh, uh, address those. And please give me questions while we go through this. Um, this, this is a, a, a uh, moving target. So, so please, please uh, don't, don't be afraid to, to chime in, even some of your experiences. Okay, let's get back on that. Okay, 
So let's uh, uh, take a look at losses. Not all losses feel the same. So if we start off here, um, so it, at the beginning of the year, let's say right now, we're, we're defining what we think our expected yield is for this, this upcoming year. But, but what's really behind that though, is some type of unknown distribution of yields that we're gonna sample out of, meaning we're gonna draw one, one of these yields. Um, and, and we don't know which one we're gonna draw because we don't know the upcoming growing season. So we could end up with a small loss or a really large loss. And that's what I am going to, Jessica and I are defining as risk is financially devastating low probability events that are, that are really big on the farm. I really don't have a lot of time to talk about these losses right here. This is, this, these are in, in probability space. They're very, it's a very large area and we should have finances and access to capital to get around, to work through these things. Um, it's these big ones out here that send us in a different financial, on a different financial path that, that scare me, scare me a lot. So I want to rearrange this, this distribution uh, to, to help me uh, achieve my goals of, of farming in the future, making money, passing the farm on, whatever, whatever that is. Um, we'll come back to that, to how that works. So, um, so uh, uh, and, and this is, these are some reasons why I don't like the small loss. Uh, so you experience a small loss, you say, well, insurance wasn't useful. Well, that's right. It's, it's not there to make you whole just because you have a, a, small, a small loss. Um, and, and then I'd say, well, wait until the whammy comes. The whammy is the, the really big loss, the drought or whatever that is. That's when insurance pays off. Until then, um, it, it can be a, a uh, no, no return to that uh, insurance product you, you've purchased. Okay. All right. So uh, we need to get identify goals to get rid of these things. Um, and then it's also very difficult to characterize events um, that are uh, we've never seen or rarely seen. And, and I, I hope we're up, updating our thought process in these things because COVID has, has reframed how we think about you know, low probability financially devastating or, or you know, death type, type events um, because we're actually observing something way out in the distribution um, that we, we haven't seen for a, for a long time. All right. Uh, I don't forecast. Um, I get routinely asked uh, what, what's my price for the fall or this fall. I'm like, go ask the active buyers and sellers, essentially those in the commodity world. Um, I, I help my dad on the farm and we have goals and objectives on that farm back in Montana. And one of those is to make some money and move on. Um, and I, I don't want to be caught where, where the banker all of a sudden does not become our friend. Uh, so I don't forecast, but I see too many people forecasting with the wrong wrong logic and forecasting. So let's take a, a step back and, and think about the logic of forecasting. So let's say this is our domain space and this is the probability and all we have is this one outcome. Um, can we uh, forecast this outcome? Well, yeah, there's no uncertainty around that outcome. No matter what happens, this outcome is gonna happen. So we can, we can forecast that thing. All right, let's go over to say something like yields or prices, this distribution. So we, can we forecast this thing? Well, not in any given year, uh, you cannot forecast this, this thing. Uh, the only way we can forecast this thing is through uh, a repeated environment where we, we get a couple observations down here, we get a couple observations up here, we take the average, and then it starts to center around this guy, this average. So we're taking an average here, knowing that we also have a mass around the average. 
And that works well, and that's what the idea behind an average is. But let's go over to something that's, that's the underlying distribution is really, really different. And let's think about forecasting in this environment. So we have a distribution here that uh, has, a, has a, a mass over here, and then it stretches way out over here to the, to the right. Um, this distribution, maybe, maybe you call it the, the COVID uh, distribution that you, you have a bunch of people that you know, don't get sick or very, very little symptoms. Then you have a few out here that you know, it's, it's a life-ending outcome. Well, so what we saw in the news, what I observed in the news is some people were taking an average of this thing. They're like, well, there's gonna be 50,000 deaths uh, from this thing. Well, never take an average of something that doesn't have a mass around that average because you're most likely to end up out here but if certain, if the right conditions come by, maybe this event out here will be, will be what happens. Uh, so your average never, you'll never center around it and let alone we never wanna repeat this thing. So you need to be very careful of the underlying distribution of what you're trying to, uh, to forecast. Okay, um, so we need logic and tools. Um, and I'm asking you to think about, uh, uh, you know, what are your goals in, in farming? Um, and, and, oh, and uh, sorry, go back. Um, and what are your goals in farming? Because those goals help you identify the tools and how you use those tools to achieve those goals. And then of course it filters out all this other, uh, what I, I would say maybe nonsense um, that uh, uh, just gets in the way of, of achieving goals and objectives. So what is it? Grow wealth, pass farmed onto the family. Everyone has their own. Um, and then along with this thing, the only constant we have in this whole game is change. Everything is, is, is changing. So we, we can't sit by idly and knowing the strategy that worked at one point is gonna work again because of changes occurring every day. Okay, so how do you construct an environment where one can achieve goals uh, with the highest probability of success or, or said alternatively, uh, construct a, a future, like let's say the year 2021, where we minimize the probability of bankruptcy. Um, and bankruptcy might not be a single year thing, maybe it's a year over year thing that, uh, uh, that adds up into bankruptcy, but, but maybe that's part of your goals. We're gonna go with this, I'm not suggesting it's yours. Uh, so please think of, think of yours and, and think how this would, would work into two years through the thought process. All right, we need to understand our environment when we're, when we're using these things. So um, with, as, if I put on my farmer hat, uh, I do not, uh, uh, I take a different approach to the market because I'm not a speculator in the market. If I want to uh, put on my speculator hat, then, then I can go and, and take some capital, go invest it into the market and see what happens. And then I can complain whether it, it went up or down or made money or not. Um, but as a farmer, I'm using the market for a, for a certain thing to help me achieve my farmer goals. And those goals uh, are not the same also as the banker. We'll come back to that here in a, in a, in a little bit. And then of course you have things like the farm bill, um, Hedging, uh, that's through the market. Insurance also works through the market. You get, so it gets to be really, really complex. So we're gonna try to simplify this thing to, to get a better idea of this. So at the same time, farmers are not the same. I, I dislike the umbrella statements uh, about how farmers should act a certain way or do a certain thing. Um, everyone's crop mix is different. Their experience is different. Uh, their goals and objectives can be different. Their financial standing can be wildly different. Um, their beliefs, your preferences come into this thing. And those, those need to be taken into account. I'm gonna try my best to leave those out uh, and just let the, the science talk, the data talk. Um, but 
uh, that that matters, and also of course your off farm income uh, sources or how diversified you are across across the farm. Okay, um, a farmer and a banker. Farmer could uh, oftentimes has a goal of passing on farm next generation. Many times when I, I hear from farmers, uh, they talk about what generation uh, number they're at. Um, and then, and then, so then success is judged through generations. The banker does not have this goal. Uh, they evaluate your performance over every year, maybe even quarterly. Uh, and they reply, rely upon metrics such as cash flow and equity to uh, uh, judge you. And of course, uh, uh, unfortunately how it works is your banker is always your friend until they're not. And that means you, you uh, fell below some type of metric um, that's caused, caused them to behave in, in a different way. That's just how the world works. So identify your goals. Um, uh, that, that to do that, uh, you think through that yourself, um, and then define how you evaluate your goals. Uh, I threw a couple in here. Is it through net income? You make all your payments. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you evaluate those things, but but think of that how how you would um, define the time period about your goal. I, I think it, typically it's yearly. You know, winter is a slower time, so you get you get to and kick back and think deeply about what that, that is. Um, and then uh, examine possible outcomes. You understand yields, prices, operating costs, and, and do this for your farm under its, its conditions. Uh, we'll walk through one here in a little bit about how to, how to think through that. Um, but you need to, need to tailor it to, to your farm because uh, I, don't, I don't have all the information about how your, your farm is. Okay, let's talk about uh, the role of time. So you, every farm is on their own financial path. Um, so what we have here is, is years going across the bottom, and then we have wealth here. And so you have a farm uh, uh, moving along, growing a little wealth. Uh, something bad happened, and it, it knocked them down a little bit on wealth. And after a couple of years, they, they uh, recovered, and then they grew again for a number of years. And then uh, uh, they, they suffered another uh, rare, risky event. Uh, I, I would think of these probably as things like droughts. Um, that they come along you know, once, once in, a, in a while and we, we can't forecast them. Um, so this, in this case, the banker was your friend um, because you grew wealth, the metrics were all doing well. Um, in this case though, this, uh, this red person who started off with a little bit less wealth at the beginning, um, they, they threw, through one event went broke. And at the same time, the person in the green also threw, went through the same event and, and they've lost a lot of capital, but not as much uh, to go broke uh, to where the, the banker, you know, cut them off. Um, and then the, the, black, the person in the black line, they, they suffered a little loss. So the, the idea behind here is maybe this person in the black had something like in crop insurance or a hedging portfolio or something that caused them not to suffer as much when a bad event happened. Uh, the person in the green uh, they had a lot of, of wealth to begin with, so they suffered a, a catastrophic event, but they had enough wealth to survive. Um, and then the person in the red uh, was following the same strategy as the person in green. They just didn't have enough wealth to survive, so they're out of the game. They, they hit the, the, uh, the, this level down here where it caused you to, to change career path. All right, uh, this is how insurance works. Um, oop, oop. Uh, as you, you go along through through years here, and I hope you guys can see my cursor. I just don't know if anyone's paying attention. Yes, we can oh. see your cursor. I had to find the mute button. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. So so you're going along through time, and you, in each one of these years, you're paying paying premiums, paying premiums, paying premiums, 
about year six or seven, you're starting to question yourself on whether this thing is useful or not. And, and doing that again and again. And then of course I ran into one farmer uh, back at, at, in Kentucky that in this year right here, he was very upset about all these insurance claim, uh, payments, premiums he paid over time um, and, uh, and related them to a, a size of a, a large John Deere tractor. He was a, a larger farm operator. And then the whammy hit. And, and I hope to God he did not drop his insurance coverage, um, but 2012 was a, a devastating year for yields. Um, that's, what, that's why you have insurance is you, you don't foresee these events coming. And then of course we meander along over time and, and we're paying again. You, you could get one of these, these whammies in any given year. They could be back to back. There's no, no relationship that I've, I've come across. Uh, these are two counties um, going east to west across Nebraska, Saunders and Custer. Uh, it, was, it was a little bit worse out in Custer in 12. Um, and of course, uh, 2002 was, was also a pretty bad year out, out west. So, um, so using it is not bad as long as you, you're around for this guy, um, for, for this guy when you, when you get paid. So. Okay, um, we already talked about this. Uh, uh, this one down here at the bottom, I wanna focus on that. Uh, just because you're large doesn't mean you're safe. Um, large, large is a, a, a funny place to be because you're, you're just scaling everything and you, you uh, uh, there's, yeah, there's just no financial discrimination. Uh, large producers become broke. Uh, there was a few auctions those recently uh, and then small producers can also become large. So it's a, a, a tough world uh, with a lot of strategic decision-making involved in that to, uh, uh, to do, to achieve your objectives. Let's get into the market. All right. Uh, this is a yield distribution out uh, in Scotts Bluff, out west. Um, but I can I can put this on any any. I like this one because it's field level, field level yields. Um, and we can put this over any farm. I'd be happy to talk to anyone about about their farm's characteristics or the county they're in. Um, and what what you see here is you're going along. The trend is going up, so you're having some increase in yields through through some type of technology um, that's that's helping improve those things but you're still suffering occasionally rare events that drive your yields well below the, the average. Um, and, and here's one in 2004, I, I think it would be. Um, and then of course I, I had to put in here, but last year, yeah. Every year is a draw out of that yield distribution. You don't know when it's coming. Um, it, can, it can happen at any time. Um, there's nothing saying it's dropping off and then also just goes really, really bad. You're, these are actually above trend yields in the years before, and then a, a bad outcome occurs. Um, in fact, in this one back here, you're at the highest yield uh, that you've seen for quite a while above trend. And then in the following year, you go completely the other direction. Uh, it's, it's a wild world. Um, we talked about nature of the business. So I won't talk about that anymore. Uh, the, the, the shape of this underlying distribution around this average can be, can be wildly different by location. So if we take a look here at Saunders County and Custer County, the worst yield off of the trend, the, this red line was 70% off in 2002 in Custer County, okay? Then the fifth worst one was 2003, you were 55% off in Custer County, off the trend. So if that, if that was 100 bushel, uh, take 55% uh, off of that thing. And then uh, that would tell you what the yield was in Custer County. In Saunders County, go, move out west a, a little ways, uh, the worst yield 
out of the yield distribution going back into the 70s wasn't is not even as bad as the fifth worst yield in Custer County, meaning Custer County by default has a larger, fatter tail going out in the, in the low yield area because um, of just more uh, worse financially rare devastating events occur out there than in Saunders County. And in the same thing in uh, Scott's Bluff, um, you can also find some in the plot data. Um, I think this, this guy here is, uh, uh, the, that might be the irrigated one. I don't remember which one this is, but the plot data uh, was 100% wiped out of that tail. Okay, so, so at, the, at the county level, we don't have a good approximation for hail. Uh, we can pick up uh, droughts and stuff pretty well, but those, those hail events that work through, um, that's a whole nother animal, but we know it can be, it can be really, really bad. So uh, let's take a look at some of these, uh, uh, these rates. Let's see if I can get this to pop up. Um, I think I had them on, no. Come on. Okay. So this is uh, something Jessica and I put together. Um, and uh, I didn't quite want to hit that. So this is essentially your risk rate um, across, let's go to non-irrigated for insurance that, that drives your, your base premium rate. And I don't want the things dropping up so far. There, I'm gonna get to the non-irrigated side, base rates. So what this is, is this is how, when you go buy insurance, uh, the first thing they do at the county level is identify where you're at. And, and that is gonna drive um, how much it's gonna cost you to insure a yield, a, a bushel. Okay, more bushels keep multiplying the thing. But let's, let's take a look here across Nebraska at the base rates. I'll give you an idea of what, what this means. is just a little there you it's go really small yeah it didn't make your text any any bigger no. but at least you can see the county now but we can see cass county really well so so yeah. let me uh uh describe this let me zoom out just a little bit because the colors colors matter so cass county right here uh non-irrigated corn production uh that that reference rate is 1.5 percent meaning 1.5 percent of liability is expected to be paid out in any given year um, in Cass County. Okay, let's roll over to uh, Custer. Uh, that, that number went from 1.5% to 14.7%. Okay, so that's multiples of increased riskiness, uh, just moving, moving a little ways west. And let's, uh, um, no, that's not what I want to do. Does that bring me back? Let's move a little bit. Oh. Let's just go out there. We'll stick out. Uh, let's, let's get out to uh, Scott's Bluff. 20.3% uh, of expected um, liability is expected to be paid out in any given year. Cherry County's, uh, um, oh, we're back at wheat. Non-irrigated corn. This thing will start averaging and that's, that's bad. Cherry County's 26.1%. A couple counties don't have any policies, which is which is normal. Um, 
gardens at 14.6. We moved back out, out east here. We're at 3.3% for Cumming County. Uh, Stanton is 3.6. I came across a couple of farmers that were on the same county line. They're on the county line here, say between Pierce and, and Antelope. 8.3% um, to 9.3. That one's not too bad. Here's one that's Madison is 4.8. And uh, you jump across the, the county line into Boone and, and we're rolling uh, double at 10.1%. Um, Nebraska's rates actually on the east side are the lowest, but you go over into Iowa and it gets even smaller. Um, Jasper County is 0.6%. Is um, so the, the point here is, is that the idea of risk is conceptually different between producers that are over here in central Iowa, or even here on the eastern side of Nebraska, than those that move out west. Um, the, the rates uh, uh, grow up dramatically, and, and how you think about and manage risk is, is completely different um, than, than over here in, in Iowa. So it's, it's um, a bad idea to be listening to someone who's, who's under the conditions in Iowa or over even over here in Illinois um, and apply those philosophies to places that have risk rates that are multiples higher, especially when it has something to do with, with uh, uh, uncertain uh, outcomes. So, and let's go back to the PowerPoint. Is there any questions on that? I'm not gonna act on that, it's not going. Here it is. Now I'm back at the, oops, sorry, wrong button. No questions on the risk rates? Okay, we'll keep keep moving. Um, let's go over to prices. Um, prices are also just as, as interesting as the, the risk rates on, on yields, but in a different way. So, so what you have here is you have uh, springtime prices starting out at some point. These things have all been normalized to be in, in, in a, a distribution, but walk, walk through me with this for a second. So you start off at, at spring prices at some, some point, the ninth week of the year, this is the 10th week of the year, and those prices start to evolve and do things. And then they end up somewhere over here around harvest. So they start off at a, an, the same spot and they evolve in different ways. And it's the way that they evolve that I'm very intrigued with of how, how that influences um, outcomes and, and how, do we, how do we put this into models to simplify uh, and, uh, the, the complex environment. So, so let's, the, the gray ones here, this is two, 1989 to 2019. So the gray ones are just years I, I didn't identify, but there's things happening. So let's, let's go through the 2012 uh, price path. So in the spring, they started off here at, at uh, essentially, uh, it says zero, it's not zero, it's whatever the normalized price was in that year. And they dropped off a little bit from that. They stayed down, they stayed down, kind of meandered down. And then during the growing season, things started to happen. Uh, rain wasn't falling uh, in large areas, the market took notice, and then these things headed straight on up like a rocket ship, hung out up here, um, and of course, there were some other prices that did the same thing and then uh, uh, dropped off a little bit. And they ended up here much higher uh, than, than zero by, by the fall. And then in 1989, uh, similar type story kind of hung out, hung out, and then started dropping, dropping, came up a little bit, 
went back down, back down, and ended up uh, just a little bit lower than, than average. And same for the 2000 price path. And the reason I point these things out is we don't know which price path we're on for this upcoming year. The, the only condition we know right now is that that December 2020 corn price um, is, is by far the highest it's been um, in, in, at this point in time for, for December 2021, sorry, um, that we've seen in, in a, 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 a long time. And so we don't, we don't know where this, the prices will move uh, throughout the season, but since we're starting off essentially higher, of course, we would normalize that back. Um, chances are that they, they would move, move, move south, but for every, every reason they could go down, there's a reason they could go up. So uh, um, we, get, we get to pick what we want to do there. And again, we'll have a, a few thoughts on the south, a few thoughts on this at the end. So that's how prices evolve. Um, let's take a look at that exact same thing. Um, and I'm going to simplify it a little bit. So we're starting off with those prices in the spring, and we're going to go through an average over the past five years or so. And what I'm picking on is the seasonal type of, of outlooks we get in, in uh, uh, our decision-making process. And seasonally, over the last five years, we say, oh, man, that June, July is pretty nice time, pretty nice time. Well, not always. And this year was that year where we, we started off on a price path. Uh, that dropped us way down. A uh, number of conditions going on. I'm not, not getting into forecasting conditions for the upcoming year, but there was a number of elements in, in our economy uh, that caused us to, to observe very, very low prices. Um, and then uh, the, the same elements cause us something else uh, uh, that we haven't seen is where they, they head right back in, in the opposite direction. Uh, it, the point here is, is it doesn't have to be seasonal. Um, anything can break from it at any point in time, um, and it's impossible to predict what's what's going to happen. Uh, same thing for Kansas City uh, winter wheat. Um, is it also did the same sort of stuff. It follows this sort of random path uh, throughout the year based upon information that the that active traders and sellers are are trading. Uh, here's the corn one um, in the spring, and this is actually just up through sometime in, in October, but this is showing that same, that same decline. Um, the, the future out here is unknown, so it, where, where it goes, I, I don't know. Um, but we can see in uh, the December 2021 chart uh, that current price being offered, being traded right now, uh, is, is quite attractive compared to where, you know, where, where we were and where we've been before. Okay. So, so then what we can do is take those prices, I'm putting them down here now on the x-axis, and we, we can put a distribution around those prices. And that distribution is this guy right here. I'm just turning it sideways. So they start off at some point at an expectation, but they can end up anywhere. Okay, they can end up anywhere. And that's what this distribution is. Is this, we start off with a, a this is last year's, by the way, I've not done this year's, uh, you know, a futures, December futures price around 380. And by the time we, this is in the spring, and by the time we get to the fall, those prices could go way up if there's a drought, or they could go way down if there's a surplus and no one's buying any of the commodities. So we don't know where they'll end up between spring and fall. Prices evolve then like a drunken sailor uh, with a downward drift, meaning on average, uh, there's lower fall prices on, on average. Now, only way you get to do that is to repeat year over year over year, um, okay? So occasionally prices end up higher, droughts drive them up substantially higher, um, and, and then uh, uh, they often end up lower with okay growing conditions. 
the tools. So what can we use to uh, manage this, this environment? Okay, we can start off with insurance. So we take a, a, an income distribution that we're, we can see in the spring. We don't know where we're gonna end up in this thing. We could make a couple hundred bucks an acre. Uh, we can make zero, we could lose a couple hundred. Uh, and this is a farm somewhere. Okay, this, this was using their numbers. Um, and there's a chance we could lose $400 an acre. Okay, if, uh, if you know anyone that did not have crop insurance in 2012, uh, they, they know now uh, what it means to be uninsured. Um, and, and, and I think have a, a very different perception of the unknown distribution down here or rarely uh, observed distribution down here. And, and, and uh, through my experiences, they, they have a, a lot of respect for, for this down here. Um, and insurance payments, all they do is instead of observing or realizing these, this, these outcomes down here are losing 400 bucks, they're gonna push you up and uh, get you in a little bit better place. In, in the case of this farmer, they don't make them whole. You just don't lose as much um, because the insurance payment pushes, gives you another source of income instead of just staying down here with a, a low yield and a low price, let's say, okay? We can also uh, identify the probability of receiving an insurance claim. And this, this is essentially uh, uh, for everyone who wonders why, well, insurance doesn't work. Well, insurance does work. You just need to think about it. Um, bad, the, 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 how's that go? Uh, um, bad terminology is the enemy to good thinking. Okay, um, so the idea behind this is uh, insurance isn't meant to pay every year. And let's take a, uh, out in Scott's Bluff, let's take a, a high coverage level. This is an 85% coverage level. So by default, it should pay the most because it, it's, it's closest to your uh, expected income or expected yield. It's got a 15% deductible. You're gonna pay a little over 50 bucks an acre for this thing in, in the, the parameters I used. And then 72% of the time, you're not getting a payment of any type, okay? Then payments start happening, you're starting to get the payment. And it's not until after uh, right here where you're actually getting a payment more than your premium. And so that's about 82 or 83% of the time, you're not gonna get a payment more than your premium. But those other times when you do get one, you may end up getting one that's 75, 100 bucks an acre um, you, there's a higher chance of getting that than the other ones. Um, that exists. There's, there's like a, uh, I'd say about a 5% chance your payment will be over $100 an acre out, out in Scott's Bluff. And as you walk down those coverage levels, of course, the probability of payments get smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, if you're sitting down there, 60% coverage level, um, there's like a 97% chance you will not get a payment. Um, and then if you do get a payment, it's like it, there's a 90 uh, eight percent chance you won't get your money back. Okay, so it takes a really rare event then to to get you a payment with uh, a sixty percent coverage level. So by default, insurance shouldn't pay you. You should have many years where you just pay premiums. Um, those premiums then the idea behind them is is they're used to help you achieve your goals and objectives um, by entering into a business that that the outcomes are not uh, observed until until well after the investment period. Okay, at, at harvest. So. Okay, hedging. And then we're gonna put these two things together. Okay, uh, let's take uh, non-irrigated corn production. We're gonna use a hedge to arrive contract. Um, so, what, and, and, and as a side note here, what I've done is tried to filter out all the other noise going on around, around hedging and, and uh, uh, risk management. So 
We start off at the beginning of the year. We have some type of price distribution that we're sampling out of. Um, this one here is a little, is a little bit higher. Maybe we were sitting at 450 on average for December futures. This is in the spring, but we don't know uh, when it will, where it will end up in the fall. It could be up here at seven. There's a slight chance of being over $7, uh, or it could be really low. And then at the same time, remember this is where the farmer characteristics matter, your location. You're sitting down here uh, and sampling all, a yield out of this distribution. This happens to be, I believe, Saunders County, uh, non-irrigated corn. So this is Saunders County historical yield distribution. So you're sampling out of this thing, and it's it, yeah, it's kind of funky looking. Okay, it's a uh, um, it's it's got a, a little almost like bimodal a little bit, um, but you can definitely see that that if your expected yields around 150, you know, there's a chance of select, of getting a 75 bushel yield or below. So you're doing both of these at the same time. Both of them are unknown. You can decide to engage in hedging um, while you're, you're waiting to find out what yield did you draw this year. So when you put all of this together into your revenue function, which I would argue is where you your net income, this is really net income, um, this is where you want to be, is thinking about, because in that case, you, you think about the cost associated with hedging. And in this case, is HGA costs you 10 cents a bushel. Um, that this is what essentially you've done to your revenue distribution. Your revenue distribution with no hedging is this red guy that's fairly wide. Okay, so there's a lot of outcomes that, that can happen. And the second you hedged, and this is no insurance, which is a, a crazy world to think about, um, you've pulled in that distribution, you've made it more certain because there's a higher, higher center around here that you end up in this area, but there's a chance you may, you may end up way out here, actually further in a, in a more risky situation than with no hedging. And for, for those of you that, that walk through the experiences of hedging before insurance, uh, the, the penalties of buying back without being insured can put you in a worse financial place than, than not doing anything. And that's been a, 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 a crux of of people engaging in hedging as they still remember these, these sort of events out here. Um, but insurance has completely revolutionized how these, these things work out um, in, in the model. So we're in that net, net income distribution. So hedging lowers uncertainty, but it actually increases your risk if you do a lot of it with no insurance. It's, a, it's a, in, in the right conditions. This is non-irrigated corn um, in, in Saunders County. Irrigation uh, really changes a lot of stuff. Okay, so that's uh, uh, irrigated soybeans, same same sort of idea, um, but it actually does lower your risk uh, more um, than doing nothing because there's one, it's all about understanding markets. Uh, when there's a drought um, or you, you sample a low yield in uh, let's say Saunders County, that doesn't mean there's a high chance of higher prices. Um, because there's plenty of other, a, a wide area that grows soybeans. Where corn, when you go back up here, when if there's a drought in Saunders County that causes you to draw a low yield, that drought's pooled across, likely across a large area, prices go up, buybacks happen. Okay, so but under soybeans, you're in a different world. Um, hedging um, can, can help you then uh, lower, lower that risk, okay? All right, so I'm going to simplify this thing. Stick with me here, is... I'm going to look at two things inside this distribution. I'm going to look at the average 
whatever the average is of these sort of distributions. So I'm going to look at the average of this guy and the average of this guy. Okay, those that would be my expected income for two distributions. Then I'm going to go out here into this, this risky world. Um, and let's say I'm going to go to a 1% probability. I'm going to go over here and find what, what my income is if I experience a 1% probability event. Okay. Uh, or a one in 100 year event, meaning you have 100 red balls or 100 black balls, and one of them's red. 99 are black, one of them's red. And you get a draw out of that thing each year. One, one ball, you put it back at the end of the year. And I'm going to see what that, what that risk is out there. So let's let's walk through that. So this is that expected income, 46 might losing 46 bucks an acre. And then this is my risk at, at 1% out in Saunders County. So at the beginning of the year, I'm expected pretty much to break even minus 46 bucks an acre. Um, but if I experience a rare event, man, I'm gonna lose $275 an acre. Okay. And that's this point right here. Then I'm going to hedge. Oh, this is this is actually 5%. Sorry, I did the 5% one. So just go up a little bit over here. Go up halfway, 5%. That's that number. So I'm not even going out far into the tail. I'm um, using a 5%, a 1 in 20 event. Then I'm going to hedge 10%, and I'm going to find the same numbers again. So, so hedging uh, actually lowers your risk by a little bit. You move to the right of this point, just a, a hair. But it actually lowers your expected income. And the reason, the reason that hedge to arrive in this case lowers your expected income is it's not free. Um, hedge, hedging is not, not free in this case. It's 10 cents a bushel. And then you keep hedging and hedging and hedging. And pretty soon, your risk is actually getting worse. You're actually increasing your risk because of those buybacks. You start, if, if you realize them, I'm not saying you're going to realize this stuff. I'm saying you're, you're exposing yourself to a fatter tail than, than doing nothing, which is no hedging, which is up here. That's essentially this guy out here starts getting fatter and fatter and fatter. The more hedging you do in a risky environment. Okay. So that's without insurance. We, we layer insurance into this thing and all of a sudden the, the entire playing field uh, changes itself. And if you're understanding of how this, this playing field has changed, it, it has given you uh, a lot of opportunities to, to think about how to manage your portfolio, your risk portfolio going, going forward, um, potentially even taking advantage of folks who haven't um, because they, they still uh, may be under this regime down here um, and not thinking about what insurance has done. So this is 80% revenue protection. Um, and so you've lowered your 1% your risk from minus 275 to 175. Um, it's not surprising. Insurance doesn't make you whole. Um, you still lose money. You just don't lose as much. Um, there are conditions where you, it can make you money, um, but we've driven production costs up enough now that, that that's not the case. So insurance lowers your risk. Well, at the same time, it actually increased your expected income. So it actually increased your expected income. And that, that one is, has been insightful. Um, some folks pick it up right away. Others have to think about it for a second, but most everyone will soon hone in on the premiums are subsidized. And this is where that those subsidy dollars are coming, are flowing back to you um, through premiums, indemnities that are coming from premiums you didn't pay. So over time, you, you will make back more money than, than you did. 
But that's also a moving target because you, you don't know when, if, if you decide to pass the farm off the year after the drought, I mean, you, you could have a huge return from insurance, especially if you just started it a couple of years before that. Um, it always, it all depends when, when you uh, um, receive those indemnities, those, those rare events. So this is, this is sampling out over, over many, many years and finding the average, I think, I think we went out like 30,000 years. So what happens then when you have insurance of say this 80% revenue protection and you start buying or start hedging. So that again, you're, you're, the hedging lowers your expected income by a little bit because you're, you're, it's costly and it continues to lower your risk. And it does that. These are 5% shots. So I think I should have mentioned that earlier now. Uh, so it's 0% hedging, 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, 30%. I'm going in fives. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. And then, then here you would actually switch over to 85% hedging. And then you can continue hedging. So you'd be at 5, 10, so you'd be at 15. You'd go 20 at 85% revenue protection. 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, keep on going. Um, so you wanna be here uh, and looking down on this. You don't wanna be sitting down here. You wanna be buying insurance because over time it'll pay you back more than you paid in. And all of these guys that, that can see the sun from here on the efficient frontier, meaning someone who's buying 80% coverage level or even, I'd even argue 75% and no hedging is all right. They, they are, they are, they can still do well, um, and and uh, if they want to lower more risk, if that's in their their set of characteristics they want to do, they can engage in some hedging. Insurance by default is hedging. Okay, you are you are protecting prices as well, especially with revenue protection. So, um, so so eighty and eighty five. Uh, if you're if you're an, if you're a high hedger, you'd want to be buying up on your insurance because you're getting a subsidized profit. Okay, fairly fairly common sense once it's stated. Um, if you're a low hedger uh, or don't do any hedging, maybe that 80 or 75% is, is the place to be. And of course, 60 would be over here, uh, 65, 50, it'd keep on going down eventually, you know, uh, center in on, on this no hedging, no insurance guy. So uh, the other thing that comes out of this I often hear is you can hedge up to your guaranteed bushels. Well, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, there's there's not, not necessarily a problem with that. Um, but when you start spending more money on hedging, it's 10% of bushel to hedge. And when you start having to buy back, uh, it, we also have a 10 cent per bushel cost to buy back. Um, that keeps just lowering your expected income because that bad event is costing you more money. The insurance is paying you for your loss, but then you're, you're having to pay out more money for these other costs that showed up in that thing. And mind you, you also have a premium you have to pay. So you have to put that premium in here as well. Um, so your revenue from guaranteed bushels is not guaranteed because you, you have to take off your premium for that thing. Okay, then if you divide what's remaining in your guaranteed revenue by your bushels um, or the price, that would tell you what your real guaranteed bushels are. These are, these are guaranteed bushels less the premium. So it's not, not quite a complete uh, statement. Um, now, that doesn't mean that going into any given year that uh, you know, you're gonna experience a 1% event. Um, the point here is that, is that you never would uh, start off the year by placing your farm in a riskier position than otherwise. So you would, you would never start off with no insurance and hedge everything because you could, you could find a better risk reward location, better 
highest, lower risk, higher expected income by, by doing nothing. And in this case, you can find even a, a substantially lower risk by just hedging uh, with the same expected net income and buying 85% covers level. You just, you just go straight up. I can lower my risk by that much by going to 85% revenue protection and then uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45% hedging. Over time, that will, that will return you that much uh, less risk uh, with the same expected income, but you have to do it through repeating. You can't. This isn't. This isn't saying well last year. Okay, you no. Know, so I'm not. I'm not talking about last year. I don't, I'm talking about if you if you repeat this this sample over generations, this this strategy. This is what will eventually come out on that. And of course, the revenue protection with harvest price exclusion. Yeah, just stay away from it. Non-irrigated corn. However, the harvest price exclusion actually works. Um, in irrigated production, irrigated corn. Um, the irrigation, of course, you, you, and there's some conditions with this. I'll come to that in a second. The irrigation gives you protection from droughts um, if you can maintain irrigation. Okay, so I'm assuming you can maintain irrigation. Uh, there's no faults in any of that sort of stuff. Uh, the exclusion is actually uh, gives you a better expected income. See, the risk functions are nearly the same. They, they lower risk by the same pretty much the same. Um, remember, risk is on the, the x-axis here. But it increases your expected income by a few bucks. You're at minus, with some hedging, minus four to plus six. Okay, so, so $10 an, an acre. And, and the reason being is that once, once prices go up, once prices go up from, from spring to fall due to a drought, the only way you claim an insurance indemnity is through a yield loss. And you have to then ask yourself, will I have a yield loss with irrigated corn? And, and that's the, that, then we get into preferences of what's the chances of that. Um, I, would, I would lean that you'd stick with the revenue protection on the corn. Right now you can't, there's certain uh, contracts you can't vary between irrigated and non-irrigated. Um, this is just, just giving you an idea I'm not asking, I'm not suggesting wholesale changes to an insurance portfolio that, that there is actually a place for exclusion, um, but it's under a very, very tight set of circumstances, very tight set. Um, but it, it, it is nowhere to be found in non-irrigated corn. And where this comes into play is when a farmer shows up to the agents, I need to lower my, my premiums. And the agent says, well, I, I can get them lower for you. Let's go to the exclusion. Well, that's what you just done on non-irrigated corn in the exclusion. So Corey, many, many yeah. people kind of recommend we lower that uh, coverage level of insurance on irrigated corn and then add wind and hail. So what does that do to change that? Or can you have a comment about that? Yeah, you bet, Paul. So so I, I don't have, uh, and this is this question has been brought up before. I don't have a, a uh, uh, a definitive um, answer for you for you on that, um, but but let's walk through. So I haven't been able to model it because the hail is elusive, and and companies offer you know different products doing a little bit different things. So I I, I haven't been wanting to pick on certain companies, but the two things come to mind. Uh, first, uh, hail and wind are not subsidized. You're paying the full rate plus plus you're paying. Um, their brick and mortar buildings, 
um, their salaries, uh, and anything else uh, expect there must be some expected profit in that thing um, associated with that product. In crop insurance, only thing you're paying for is the the pure risk, the the uh, RMA salaries, brick and mortar buildings, uh, commissions to agents. That's all from different pools of money. That's not from your premium. If you look at your, your schedule of insurance, you'll find premium subsidy. And then next to it, you'll find A&O, administrative and operating expense. That's, that's where they, they use, that's what they use to pay uh, commissions is from that. That's another subsidy uh, that's not from your premium, okay? So out of the gate, you're already behind on, on, on the subsidy part, okay? You're already behind on that. Now, um, are you selecting enterprise units or optional units in the insurance world? You have to walk through that. Um, it gets to be pretty complicated. So I would love to engage anyone who wants to think deeper about that um, because it, it is, it is uh, 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 a complicated world. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's tough. Um, so there's an incomplete answer, meaning I, I, I don't know. And, and these, these models right here at the county level, I don't have that wind and hail in at, on a county NAS yield, right? I'm really doing a good job picking up uh, droughts, but I'm doing a bad job picking up um, farm structure where their acreage is, how their acreage is spread out across the county. If they're in one area, Man, it's tough. That's that's a different world. But if that if that farmer spread out, you know, I want to say evenly, like a, a quarter section, almost evenly spread out over the entire county, this might actually be pretty close to them. I've just never met a farmer that has that sort of farm structure. So, okay, let's uh, move on to the next one. Custer County uh, irrigated corn, same thing. The exclusion stands out dramatically. Um, but the difference between Custer County and Saunders County is really found in the amount of hedging. So Custer County has, well, it has a lot of yield risk. It's, it's relation with uh, droughts happening in Custer County at the same time droughts ha happen in the main corn growing area is, is much less, there's no very little correlation. So you, you uh, can get away with a lot more uh, hedging out that way, as long as you're protecting it with insurance, protecting it with insurance, so. So okay. Corey, I want to do a time check for you. you I got know. like five slides. Okay, you got five minutes. So okay, I'm gonna go through these fast. Choose, okay, all right. Choose, choose carefully. I will choose. I will choose carefully. Okay. So um, goals, logic, tools. If you notice, I did not go through any of the stuff thinking about last year or or any anything else. I'm sticking to farm survival and not knowing what's happening. Okay. Uh, you got to ask yourself: Would you cross a river that's on average four feet deep? Um, I would ask you then to. Uh, 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 also take a look at YouTube and find some people who decided to drive into uh, uh, waters that were dirty. Um, some, there were some bad outcomes. Okay, so the point there is rely on individual payoffs, not averages. Okay, um, averages don't say anything about risk. Okay, you need, you need payoffs. Uh, consider conditions in your area, the role of time, protect your wealth. Crop insurance is not expensive. Not understanding your exposure can be. Okay, and, and this is even reoccurring this year. Um, higher premiums imply, imply you, you face more risk, okay? Um, 
Achieve financially driven goals by passing farm generation through by building a system that's resilient to unexpected events. I can't tell you what's coming up, um, but if you if you make it through one year and and you can go farming into the next year and that's your goal to pass your farm on the next generation, then then you've done that. Don't ever expose yourself for the farm to unnecessary financial risk because you think you know what's going to happen. Okay. That's not the point of when you put your, your hedging hat on as a farmer, you're, you're hedging to protect the farm, not to guess the, 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 where the futures market's going to go. And you hope that that first sale you make is the worst sale you make all year. And that's where we would go into this year. You hope that that December 2021 corn, that 443, wherever it's at, man, I would love for that to be my worst sale all year. I would love for that first sale, but I know... I know there's a chance from the, the price distributions that prices could go way down between now and then fall when we're selling more corn. So somewhere we got to start building an average price and this is a great place to start the same, same with soybeans. Okay, that's it.